0: On this episode of The Playbook, I have the biggest and best hip hop festival of all time, the co-founder Matt Zingler of the Rolling Loud Music Festival. And we're gonna talk about the bug light strategy and crossover between athletes and entertainers and how important it is to the festival. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have Matt Zingler. He is the co-founder of the Rolling Loud Music Festival. And If you haven't heard about the Rolling Loud Music Festival, you're not into music, that's for sure, because I am Old and I even know about it. Uh, Welcome to the playbook, Matt.
1: Thank you, David. Looking forward to this interview.
0: I am too. You know why? Because you might not know this, but our careers and the idea of what you're doing parallels uh, how I've made my money in sports agency. Uh, I had a philosophy that if you could provide the right experience and bring The right bug lights to that experience at uh, an affordable price to bring them there, that you could create extraordinary margins because people will come to extraordinary experiences with the right bug lights. And for me, the bug lights were, you know, Warren Moon and Steve Aikman and Troy uh, Aikman and Steve Young and Lennox Lewis at Vander, Sabathia Ramirez, all the great athletes. Uh, But you've taken a very similar approach to music. When did you realize what I have defined as the bug light approach to business, uh, that if you bring the right
1: talent and experience, they will come? I don't think I realized that until till, uh, I failed a few times, right? So it's like, you're like, why isn't anybody here? And what did I do wrong? Or how do I amplify it? And then you kind of get down to, well, the marketing and promotion of the event and how are we doing that? Because when we started uh, the company and we started touring, um, we didn't really have a large presence on social media, right? Everybody wants to say, oh, I want to build my social media. If I have a million followers, I can sell, you know, a million units. It doesn't convert like that, right? So uh, it's interesting to see how we have built our marketing platform by finding those bug lights and then getting the fans to want to partake in the festival rather than just hyper-focus on the artist. So my goal has always been to transfer over those Travis Scott fans or the Post Malone fans or whatever it is into Rolling Loud fans and saying, okay, well, whatever Rolling Loud's doing, I want to go there because whatever bug lights they have, that's what I want to see. And I know that they're going to put on a great show, even if I'm not familiar with the artist. So I think like when we first started, the success was based off of our touring company before that, but having all those artists really was the marketing tool that I needed because I needed them to promote the event. So in my contracts, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to pay you this money, but I need, you know X amount of posts on social media, Twitter, and then I would do uh, geo target ads through Facebook." And that's kind of how we did it. And then obviously, we had you know street teams, etc., but and some radio. But realistically, it was. The geo-targeting and the artists bringing their fans for sure.
0: And building a community beyond just bringing the fans is a big component, right? You got to sell through an audience, not to an audience, uh, especially in your space, in the hip hop space, uh, you have to stay organic and authentic to selling through them where they become the best promoters ever. When someone experiences the Rolling Loud uh, experience, then they're going to go and tell two people, tell two people, mm-hmm. and then it be, regardless of what talent you have, uh, everything becomes more and more affordable, but then you have multiple streams of income. What were some of the strategies that you used to sell through the people uh, that came from, for the bug lights or for the experience, but you were able to build such a great community?
1: Yeah. So I think that, your philosophy, right? A friend brings a friend. Like that's how I always looked at it. So when I took these massive leaps in my first year of rolling loud, our capacity was like 5,000 estimated. And then the second year I wanted to go bigger. And I went to an open air parking lot where we had a 15,000 cap per day. And uh, I took the leap of faith. Cause I was like, you know what? I think that those 5,000 people had a good enough time that they're going to tell three friends. So that, that was my philosophy where you know, I started using my fans as my street promoters. And it's funny, I didn't sell one merch item that show. And um, I actually didn't even have the rights to use the artist on the t-shirt yet because I didn't even know about that, um, to be honest with you. And the second year, I was like, oh, well, now that I have these people here, I hope they tell more friends and we can go to the next level. But to go to the next level, I realized that I needed that next level of talent, right? And I needed to go bigger, and I needed a site that was more credible, which is why I went to Bayfront Park because you know Ultra is at Bayfront Park and they've had like big events there. So I was kind of looking at other companies and where they were at. And I was like, well, if they're here, that's probably the right move. And you know that, that's when I took the real big leap in 2017 in three days. Um, you know it was a 120,000 people over the course of, Three days, you know, but booking Kendrick Lamar and Future and Travis and Post and all these guys um, together really created that experience where somebody looked at and they said, Wow, I can buy this ticket, and it's three, four times cheaper than what I would buy it at if I was to go individually to these shows. So that's kind of where creating that unique experience that you discussed where you know, what's the difference between going to an amp or an arena and rolling loud, you know? So that's really where experiential would come into play that we've dialed in better now than we have in the past. But I really believe in that it's all about the energy, right? Like there's not many places you can go where you can be in closed corridors and like really feel that energy in an amp or an arena. So I always feel like open air festivals have an advantage and obviously the disadvantages are pretty obvious being mother nature and tons of other things, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's the key to success is just creating a value of ticket and uh, making sure that the fans have an amazing experience to want to come back and spend that money. You know, I think like the fans are everything to me. Um, and I've always kind of looked at that and I've always operated in a way that whatever happens happens. I always make sure to take care of the artists and I always make sure to take care of the fans, even if that's leaving me completely, you know, in a very tight spot, you know, I've always made sure to like have a really good reputation in the industry, which is part of my success is I do good business.
0: Right. If you do good business, there'll be more business. Even if you didn't make money on the first business, you'll at least have a shot to have the second business or the section, second concert. Uh, Now picking a partner, and a co-founder is difficult, especially because there's no such thing as an overnight success and right. the more struggles you go through, the more struggles and difficulties we have. You have a, a great partner in Tariq, obviously Sharif. And, you know, you guys did struggle for a while. As you said, you paid some dummy tax along the way, which a lot of people do as they explore this type of experiential bug light uh, business, as I call it. Uh, you know, how important was it to have uh, Tariq as your co-founder and, you know, how did you get through the difficult times uh, when maybe you or he had some doubts on whether they want to move forward or not?
1: So I think, I think the value of having a partner is kind of like similar to being married, right? Cause every it's my anniversary, is a so marriage
0: per- perfect timing, my brother. It's my twenty-fourth anniversary.
1: Yeah. I'm also married. So, um, not 24 years, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> i with with my partner Tarek, what i would say is it's always better to not be alone when you're going through very hard times in building a business where it's completely bootstrapped right because at least there's maybe another couch for you to sleep on or you know there's somebody else that might have some ramen noodles in the in the the cabinet hiding so i think uh what's that phrase they say? It's like uh, uh, misery needs company or whatever that thing is. It's like when you're really going through it, you know, we've definitely gone through it together. Sometimes you can make the best out of it because you're like, all right, well, fuck it, you know, or (laughs) if you have that like idea and it's like, all right, well, let's just go get some beers or like, let's just go get completely smashed. And, you know, I think that that that's the great value is like, although we are partners, we're also very close and I've known Tarek since I was like, I don't even know, I think like eight years old. So um, to me, he's family and uh, we've always had a great relationship uh, from a friend's perspective. But I, you know, when we we have had our losses, which every company does and when you are learning, because it's not like there's a college for throwing events, right? Um, I definitely have paid my dues financially and my dad always told me it's not about you know doing the event or making money or losing money it's just how about you how you get back up from from what happened so you know when I was really down and I was in very difficult places I would always think about kind of what he said and about the person I am and the morale that I have and the dedication that I have to be successful and I was like you know what if I, if I if it was easy, everyone would do it. And maybe I made some mistakes, but I believe in myself and I believe in my craft, and I believe that there's a space for this, you know, because it always wasn't a complete failure. It was just a miscalculated calculation of expenses. It was variables that I couldn't always control, you know. So I think that as long as the potential's there, as an entrepreneur you should always gun after it, but there are a lot of wrong ways to to go after certain things. And I have seen people just repeat failure consistently and they're just doing the same thing or altering little things. And if you're not identifying what was wrong, you're never going to be successful. You really have to know what you did wrong, know how you're going to fix it, know how you're going to overcome that and make sure it doesn't happen again. So I think that, when entrepreneurs do earn their stripes and do take those losses it's not a lesson unless you've actually learned yeah and the lesson is don't do it again like when you're (laughs) a kid and you put your hand on the stove and you're like oh shit that's hot you know what i mean so if you keep fucking touching the stove you're done you know like your hand's gone (laughs) but if you if you learn you're like all right i'm not gonna do that again i think that you know you, you definitely have a better chance for success
0: well, you definitely do, and the wisdoms are beyond your years. And you know, me screwing up uh, Tarek's name uh, reminds me of my my next question. Uh, and just to illuminate, I was going to say,
1: but, I'm like, you know, it's fine because I'm going to say it the different way, and maybe you will catch on. But yeah, yeah, I it's figured. hard to pronounce. I know. love it,
0: Tarek. Well, I got a better story for you that leads to my question. So, you know, crossover talent in the space is so important. So, uh, Acon. Uh, is a friend of mine he's a great entrepreneur as well I do a little mentorship with him and he wanted to but the first time I met him you know he wanted to meet like Matt Liner some other guys we were at a party at the MGM so he said you know Mr. Meltzer you know I'd really like to meet some of these guys could you please you know call me over whatever and it was one of those big baller parties at the MGM back in, in the middle of the MGM and uh, where they had you know the, the condos back there and everybody's drinking like Cristal out of bottles. It, it, it was yeah. you know, the ball. It was the baller type of thing. Anyway, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm old and I, and I don't know the space as well. So the whole night I'm like, acorn, Hey, acorn, get over here. <laughs> and he's laughing. He thinks I'm making fun of him. He actually thinks I know his name, but the whole night I'm calling him. Acorn, <laughs> This is Mike Tyson acorn. This is Matt Leinart acorn, you know, come over here. And, uh, and then finally, uh, you know, I, I left and. uh, my, my guy, you know, my media guys like, dude, you're pretty rough. Like, you know, why are you making fun of Akon so much? I'm like, who's Akon? He goes, Akon. <laughs> you no, know, that, that, I'm like, oh shit. I really thought his name was Acorn. Uh, so, anyway, so Tark, if you're listening, my friend, I am an old middle aged idiot and I, I do, <laughs> am doing my best that I can. But the importance of it is how much do you use crossover talent? Uh, you know, every single athlete, entertainer loves, hip-hop and they want to be a hip-hop star and every hip-hop star wants to be an athlete athlete, but you can leverage all that amplification all that audience how do you guys uh, take advantage of that crossover
1: well it depends if you know sports are in season or not right so like certain time frames they're like dude i want to go so bad i have a game that night or i have a game tomorrow uh so it really depends on the season but you know this past uh, miami show we had uh, a large presence from athletes because football and basketball is off so and their training camp didn't start to the following week so they had like a last rot rolling loud um what i've realized with like the crossover between athletes and artists necessarily is they're always cross promoting each other which is super cool to see um there's a lot of heavy support as you've seen like James Harden and like little baby from like a fashion perspective and you know him and his involvement in fashion and Paris fashion week and then you have little baby who's you know one of the top artists in the game right now and and them together is just like super iconic uh and we saw that at the show too they were together the whole show um but a lot of artists have affiliations with athletes and a lot of athletes and artists vice versa because as you said each wants to be a star i think from a crossover perspective it doesn't really benefit me much but definitely benefits the genre and uh the amplification of of the artists and the music because you know it's just all those followers are listening you know and watching the sports icon and then they're playing the music while they're working out or on their recap videos or this or that, or they get the floor seats. And then, you know, on the, athlete, on the athlete side, I think that if anything, the artist the, the artists hurt the athletes because like, come to the studio, come to the club, come to my show. And they're like, you know, they might make some mistakes along the way. So I think that, uh, you know, that's kind of, uh, uh, athletes, uh, kryptonite is, uh, is an artist giving them hopes and dreams to be on their mixtape. But, um, <laughs> You know, I'm actually in our studio right now, and I can't tell you that countless uh, athletes I've had in here that are determined to drop uh, uh, an album and determined to perform on the stage. So, that's so it's good. interesting to see.
0: So, so last question, you know, I, I'm someone who grew up with nothing, uh, made over $100 million, lost it, made it back. Uh, and I learned yeah, that's some awesome lessons, but I'm willing to risk it all. And, and I know in your business, you and uh, Tarek have to risk it all. And as you get bigger and bigger, the risk get bigger and bigger. And you know, all it, all it takes is one flop and you may be starting all over again. Uh, you know, I always like to ask young entrepreneurs for other young entrepreneurs, what, what are you doing to mitigate that risk now that you guys are successful, you know, and you have the all in attitude, you know, I, I love it. You know, I have it myself and it drives my wife crazy. Uh, but are you doing any, anything to mitigate risk, to, to save money, you know, to, to put something away for a rainy day? Or are you a PT Barnum, man? You're just all in and if, if it all goes away, you'll just start over and make it back.
1: My advice to any entrepreneur is to make sure that you're comfortable having nothing. I'm ready to go out, right? Like I'm ready for that. And I live for competition. I live to be challenged. I mean, I'm very competitive uh, across the board, I would say, and and I'm very structured. And creating structure and and having the things that I have integrated into my life uh, has helped me become successful and mitigate my risk. But you have to be ready to just, you have to know what your worst case scenario is. And you should always play worst case scenario and understand that a, that's a firm reality that you could that you could not win and that you could lose everything you have. And for years, every dollar that I had, I would put into the show that I couldn't afford to produce, right? And I was ready to go out. You know, I lived this quote unquote lavish lifestyle because i would lived through my business and people would see the bells and whistles, but... Until I finally was able to get that structure, uh, I was living very uh, rock starish, you know, and um <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. you know, I would say that some of my most memorable experiences and times that I hold so dearly are those in which I literally had nothing. And I think, also, when you become successful and you generate 100 million or whatever you do, coming from nothing and realizing that you've done it, the feeling is inexcribable You know, like when I finally realized that I, I did it, it was extremely emotional for me because the hardships that I went through, everything that I've lost, you know, not having stability, not having a place to sleep, not having a dollar, you know, all those things kind of just like flow onto you and you, and you realize, um, that you won the lottery. Right. But the odds were better because I would say you you
0: earned the lottery, which is different than winning it. Right.
1: You earned the lottery. Well, you won it too, because I would say that no nobody gets anywhere without a little bit of luck. Yeah. You know, and, um, you do need luck on your side. You know, like there's a lot of variables and things that you can't, that you can't control. And there's a lot of situations and where you meet somebody and this and this happens. And then it parlays, you know, I would just say, always be open-minded and, and always be super humble. Like I've all, I've always been a very humble guy. And, uh, I consider myself generous as a person too, because it's not coming from anything. Um, so I treat my, my staff like family. I treat the people that work for me like family. I learned that from my dad as well. When he was running factories out in El Paso and he would tell me, he was like, hey, I go to this bakery every day and I bring, you know, pastries for everybody. It cost me like 12, 15 bucks. You know, it's like nothing in Texas, like it's right on the border of Juarez. And, and all these workers come in every day. There's like a hundred something of them. And they would, they would look forward to this pastry that my dad would bring. They all have the ones they liked, whatever, whatever. And um, they would, of that one pastry, not only would they work so long, but they would respect him so much more because he treated them like, like family, right? Because without a proper team, without a proper structure, you don't have anything. So if you're just building and you're just a, a lone soldier and you're on your own, good luck because you don't have eyes in the back of your head. And you only got two years. So, you know, if if you don't really have structure in a team and you're not looking out for your team and you're not creating a loyalty program, right, where people feel like they're part of it, where they have a voice. And I think that's really where a lot of entrepreneurs, um, they don't really understand that you need to be uh, humble and you need to really just appreciate people showing up because checks checks can just they're just checks like they don't they don't understand what you got going on in your life and in the risks that you're taking and they're there and they don't have the upside that you do so just chill out a little bit you know?
0: You're know, speaking my language, open-mindedness and humility. I always say there's two types of people, ignorant people and ignorant people. The only difference is some are arrogant and some are humble. You are absolutely a humble, ignorant person, meaning yes. the ability of you don't know what you don't know, but you're not gonna make the same mistakes twice. I appreciate you, mm-hmm. the incredible entrepreneur, a family man himself, co-founder of the Hip Hop Success Rolling Loud Music Festival, Matt Zingler. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.